This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 123, using simulation in the medical world, and an update on news and events from the world of ANSYS. Welcome to October and our 123rd episode of the All Things ANSYS podcast. I'm Eric Miller, one of the three owners of PADT and your host for these podcasts. This month, I'm not recording from some remote location. I'm sitting in my office at PADT, main location at the ASU Research Park in Tempe, Arizona. I've been traveling a lot, as you'll see in the interview coming up, so it's good to be back in one spot for a while. My trip, my last trip was to Denver, and I had kind of three takeaways that I was thinking about when I was in the airport coming home. So this last trip was scheduled around a biotech conference put on by the Colorado Bioscience Association, and we had a booth there and and participated in some events and, and really kind of listened to people and met people and talked to people. And what I saw at that conference is that a lot of the let's say someday technology that we've been dreaming about and maybe reading about in the paper, it's happening now. Um, some, some gene editing is, is there. It's, it's being used to treat real diseases out there. Um, they're using a lot of real world artificial intelligence techniques to get better information from noisy data in the diagnostic space. And then um, it, that's diagnostic devices. And then when it comes to people diagnosing uh, diseases and illnesses and things like that, uh, using AI to help doctors make those diagnoses as well. Um, image processing, you name it, it's everywhere. And then we're also seeing some advanced materials come out. Things are just really making a difference. So we're seeing a kind of a big jump forward in what we can do medical technology wise, being driven by uh, materials and software and all sorts of cool stuff. So that was kind of neat to see that these things are coming true. And also while we were there uh, the following day, we went out and visited a couple of our, let's say, quote, new space, unquote, customers, right? So these are people, uh, not the big aerospace companies that we're used to thinking of when we think of space, but these are smaller kind of startups or, or no longer startups, but kind of medium-sized companies out there doing really cool stuff. And then and then two weeks ago, I was actually also in Colorado up at Fort Collins for an AIAA meeting. And... Um, what I saw, what we talked about, the, the hardware we were able to see was just cool. Uh, these companies are doing what I've been reading about in sci-fi my whole life. Uh, we're, we're talking about you know robots repairing satellites on orbit, manufacturing materials and components on orbit, um, life support systems that are super efficient. Uh, it's it's really really cool. Even some um, I had a chance to chat with a guy that is doing some very very cool work with um, understanding how the human genome and how plant genomes uh, behave in orbit in space. It's really really this this is really cool stuff. And this is not planning. This is people they have. Long Launches, they're on orbit. They're testing at the space station. They're planning to go to the moon. This is really, really cool stuff. And then, lastly, uh, every event in this last trip, and, and the three trips before that, actually, I saw a very strong trend, and it's that people want to connect in person and on a personal level. Yes, we talked about work, but we also
also talked about our kids, about sports, about weather. You know, we always got to talk about weather. Um, and at one networking dinner, I spent 45 minutes talking about policy options for encouraging carbon reduction. You know, nothing to do with the conference at all. But somebody was interested in it. I'm interested in it. We had a great discussion. It was really a good connection, right? Um, it had nothing to do with that, what either of us do. Um, and it, it, not only was it great, but when we got done, then another person that had taken part in the conversation started talking about the bear problem he has at their house in the mountains, which is really fun to hear about. Uh, nobody's been injured. Actually, I have to say, I think some chickens were injured. But uh, we were just people that had met each other that day connecting. And it was really, really nice. They had to push us out the door at the end of that event. Um, and, and so we just need to, my takeaway from that is we just really need to set aside time to connect, not just to do business, not just to get tasks done, but to really take time to connect. So those are my deep thoughts for the day. Uh, let's move on to our interview here. So speaking of medical, which is a couple of the last conference I've been at, um, this month's topic is on using simulation for medical devices and medical applications in general. Um, as you will hear in the discussion, the issue with medical is that the material is human, right? So there's lots of quality issues. That's part of it. But even more so from a simulation standpoint is the materials are sticky, squishy, nonlinear, non-uniform. Um, they just don't behave the way that water and metal behave, which is most of what our simulation stuff is, you know, started modeling. So um, it's, it's also a very complex system of systems, right, the human body. Um, and you introduce devices into it. And now you get a system within a system, right? Uh, and the geometry being organic is very tricky as well. So there's a lot there. So let's listen and learn some more. Oh, and by the way, I recorded this discussion from my car at a Starbucks parking lot in Fort Collins right before the AAA meeting. So apologize for a little bit weird on the sound, but it comes across okay. The uh, Kia rental wasn't so bad. All right. Welcome, everybody. I am in the Starbucks parking lot in Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, joined by two of our wonderful um, engineers here at EADT to talk about using simulation for uh, medical devices, basically. So, uh, uh, Jim, why don't you go first, introduce yourself, what do you do at PADT, and all that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, my name is Jim Peters. I'm a chief engineer of simulation at PADT. Uh, I've been there for over 20, ooh, 23 yeah. years, <laughs> a little while anyway. <laughs> so um, yeah, my primary responsibility is um, simulation services as a, as a contract, but also help out on the tech support and training and mentoring side of, of the uh, um, ANSYS products sales side. And Chris, what about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Satani. Uh, I have a background in uh, medical device development. Uh, in the uh, in my university experience, uh, I worked on a device to uh, occlude aneurysms, uh, and uh, got a little bit more experience on the um, uh, post uh, life cycle side at uh, Cook Medical. But I've been working with PADT mostly in support for about a year, uh, mainly under the uh, Flonex products and uh, as well as the uh, some fluid product side. Um, yeah, that, that sums it up. Great. Excellent. Very good. Well, you know, the reason why we're having this conversation is, um, you know, PADT actually uh, does medical device development, our product development group, 
usually has two or three projects. We've got about four right now actually going on that are medical devices, and we use simulation heavily. And then, you know, a good chunk of our customers that buy Ansys or Flonex from us are doing uh, medical device development, and um, they use simulation to drive their design as well. And one of the things that's changed, um, at least not you, Chris, because your career is not that long, but for Jim and I, is we kind of avoided medical devices because they were in, usually inherently multi-physics. Um, there were lots of things combined together in one uh, package and uh, a bit difficult to do, but as the simulation tools have advanced and gotten better, um, we've really done more and more simulation there. So um, I think I want to start with uh, you, Jim, and I know you do a lot with LS Dyna these days. So why don't you share a little bit about how LS Dyna can do some of these cool medical devices that you know, like an artificial heart or things like that that we haven't even looked at in the past. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, the difficulty with, um, you know, medical device development is, you know, external stuff is pretty straightforward, regular physics and so forth. But when you get into the human body and wanting right. to either look at implanted devices or or natural devices, you know, such as the heart and so forth, then, you know, the difficulty has been, how do you characterize what those materials behave like? You know, heart tissues, lungs, you know, muscles, things like that. And that's re really where a lot of the development on the material side has been, uh, you know, developed over probably the last 10, 15 years, there's been some really good, you know, material models have been set up for that. And then some of the latest capabilities that have been thrown in um, to the LS Dyna suite of, of products is the ability to not only use some of those complex materials, but start coupling some of the natural um, physics that, that occur. So one example is, is the uh, simulation of a uh, pacemaker on a heart. So there is a uh, implanted device. That device uh, initiates a electronic pulse in the heart tissue. That heart tissue in response to that pulse then contracts that contraction then if you have a domain of blood within that uh, encapsulating uh, material will then contract and then you can actually simulate the realistic pumping of the blood through the uh, you know heart valves and so forth so that's that's one of the most sophisticated you know capabilities that has been developed it's coupling the electromagnetic solver to the fluid solver along you know thermal solver all of that together um, and so that's that's really kind of the the benchmark of of advancing to a whole nother level of detail with those type of simulations. So. Yeah, really, really cool. And you, and you brought up a really good point that, in, 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 uh, you know, I don't have my notes here in the rental car. Um, it's humans that are the problem. Um, parts are parts. The medical devices are, are what they are, but it's the fact that they interface with the human body that's uh, that makes it more critical that they're be no problems from a safety standpoint, but also the materials and the behavior in the human body. Yeah. So, so Chris, your background before coming to PADT uh, is really applicable to this discussion. Um, when you look at 
at what we can do with simulation, like what what's the mo thing that excites you the most in being able to model things uh, in this in this world of medical devices? Yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to be able to, uh, at least from my background, uh, uh, I'll give a bit more detail. Uh, uh, most yeah. of my background uh, deals with uh, cerebral vascular um, uh, aneurysms. So uh, mo most of what I've looked at has dealt with uh, blood flow in the brain uh, around like uh, sidewall aneurysms or, you know, bifurcating aneurysms. So uh, it's it's nice to see. Um, you know, some some actual usable results uh, outside of like animal trials or, you know, um, to augment uh, bench test setup uh, because you can you can really essentially tune your your inputs and outputs uh, a lot, a lot better in, in uh, like a CFD or, or coupled uh, simulation. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, my bias on the the Flonex side of things is I always think of it um, as a aerospace tool because that's how I've used it. But I know that it does a lot more. Are, are people starting to use it in medical devices? Are they are they looking at fluid thermal flow in the device? Are they looking at blood flow? How are people using the Flonex tool in this space? In terms of Flonex, uh, we've seen. A little bit of uh, interaction with uh, sensor development uh, for measuring okay. uh, uh, essentially uh, pressure pulsations uh, along okay. uh, compliant devices. So uh, that's uh, that's one possible application uh, that uh, we we haven't directly seen that in uh, in blood vessels, um, but that is you know a potential. Uh, application for uh like one dimensionalizing some boundary conditions for a, for a coupled simulation yeah yeah it's it's kind of i guess we're kind of on the edge there right so and some most of our listeners should know what flonex is but if not it's it's a 1d thermal fluid solver so you have to basically build a network of it and uh <clears throat> there's a lot of applications and say like a, uh uh like we worked years and years ago we worked on a uh, a machine that uh, took the blood out of the body and cleaned it and put it back in. And so we modeled some of that fluid flow in that system using, using Flonex. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of cool. Uh, um, so Jim, what's, uh, if, I guess, I guess what's the biggest challenge that you see when modeling these medical devices? Is it materials or is it um, the multi-physics or yes? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I mean, categorically, it'd have to be the materials. I mean, okay. making sure that the materials are representative of, of the actual, um, you know, as close to reality as possible is is challenging because, you know, every you could claim every human body is slightly different. And so you, you can't just generically uh, characterize maybe, you know, uh, one type of material characterization as as proper for all applications and so you know you always get into the issue of having you know so much variation that that you know sometimes you feel that it's just too overwhelming to encapsulate some of that but <laughs> but you can you know modern technology is getting us much more 
individual patient type information that we can characterize, you know, instead of just generically making estimations on statistics, so we, we can actually investigate, you know, MRI information, everything about the topology of a given patient and be able to simulate their particular condition with so much more resolution than, than just kind of a black box type of an approach in the past. So, yeah, so it's just a lot of, uh, um, you know, technology is available to to get much finer resolution, um, you know, studies and so forth. And so, you know, that's exciting in that 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 it's it's getting more and more resolute and more and more accurate to to specific studies that that you know, are uh, attempting to be done. So that's that's the exciting part is is seeing that technology really being applied and, you know, being applied for uh, really useful purposes, uh, you know, in, in terms of helping specific people with specific conditions. And I'm sure Chris could probably talk about, you know, the whole issue with aneurysms is it's very, a very specific topology that may be unique to a certain individual. And, and right. that's not a, not a generic definition of, of, uh, of a condition to try to uh, understand how to treat. Yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely the case. Uh, there's a, a large heterogeneity in the um, rheological properties there. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the brain, yeah, it's it really complicated. Um, have either of you spent any time working with BNV 40? I can't remember if you have or not. I don't think so. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk yeah. a little bit about that. We, we were hoping to get somebody uh, from ANSYS as an expert on the call, but they weren't available. So one of the things that's changed in the simulation world is instead of just driving your design with simulation, if you're doing a medical device, you have to go out through verification and validation. Um, and generally that's done with testing. Well, now the FDA has rules on how you can use simulation to do both verification, which is basically stating whether um, the device um, verification is that does what you say you're going to do and validation means that it's safe right and um you can do that with simulation now um and we're seeing more and more customers go down that road or at least simulate their tests before they spend the time and the money to build the clinical trial devices and test it um so that's really an important uh advancement in this area yeah that's true and one of the really important parts of that whole you know regulation and that uh and those you know developing um best practices is that you know you've got to have validated now analytical approaches that you're using for the results to be uh you know considered valid and you know that may seem like a minor thing that hey i just got something to run but you know it, it really is important that that the techniques that are being used to to capture some of this very complicated physics is you know vetted out and validated that that's an appropriate you know approach and method uh, to be able to do that because um, you know certainly when you get into the into the weeds of the of of the analyses there's several you know areas of, of challenge that that really um, can be somewhat 
you know, you, you can approach them in a, a variety of different ways. And it, it's good to have a very, you know, um, peer-reviewed uh, approach to how to, uh, how to address certain types of problems. So. It's a really good point. You can't just go into your CAD system um, FEA modeler and hit run and say, look, I verified my device. Yeah, it's it's a it becomes part of the whole quality process. That's a really, really good point. Um, so you mentioned challenges and there are quite a bit because of the nature mm -hmm. of the, the human nature as well as the complexity. Um, you know, Chris, when you've done these kind of simulations or you've supported customers doing these kind of simulations, what, what's advice you would give to somebody that's maybe for the first time going to do some serious simulation in a medical device? I think uh, so, some good fundamentals, uh, at least on the, the Flonex side, is, uh, yeah, you know, uh, your, your design process is ultimately... Uh, at least in med devices, especially more, more important than your, your end deliverable. So, you know, um, if you've done a grid resolution study, uh, you know, if you've, uh, if you have core physics to kind of back up, uh, what, what you're displaying to, uh, your team, because, uh, ultimately, at least from my experience in the med device field, if you can't explain that to someone in reg affairs, uh, or another department, uh, your simulation is probably not going to do you a ton of good for your design history file. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, because because I think I think as the technologies progress, we kind of take for granted um, that we're going to get the right answer. But there, these are such complex problems; you really got to have that fundamental understanding um, uh, and be able to justify what you did and what the results are telling you. Um, that's a good point. Or nobody's going to use it. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, what, what would be your advice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Related to that, I, I mean, we've been involved in some, you know, validation of analysis used in support of device development, and you know, going through that process, you know, is as Chris alluded to, is almost more involved than the analysis itself. I know we, we spent almost <laughs> 3x the time validating all the procedures and steps and so forth uh, associated with that. And and you may view that as, well, that's just unnecessary and it's just annoying to be able to have to do that. But, you know, you, you're, you got to look at the big picture. You're dealing with devices that are going to be implanted in humans. And, you know, there's, you you know, ultimately life at risk there. So yeah, it seems from an analysis standpoint to be kind of a tedious and and not real uh, enjoyable process to go through, but but it's there for a purpose. And that purpose is to to have the most confidence you can in a simulation that is a basis for, you know, promoting a new device use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really good. Yeah, I, I like that way of thinking about it and uh, as engineers we sometimes get a little bit upset about the, that kind of part of it but you know it's it's i mean the we've dealt with it on the faa side for aeronautics yeah. and aerospace for a long time right and yeah. um you know there's a reason why both cost ten thousand dollars and uh, same sort of thing um cool um so i think what what uh what do you think is missing right now, if anything, uh, for doing simulation in the medical device space? Are we pretty much 
where we can do almost everything. Well, yeah, theoretically, uh, it can be done. I, I think one of the areas that is probably most important and is is difficult to to do is is you know long term fatigue studies, especially like on Im- implantable devices. Because, you know, even if you say I'm going to do it empirically and, and, uh, you know, those can just be not practical to be able to, uh, you know, study those kind of uh, cycle limits in a practical amount of time. I mean, they they have limits as to, you know, we've got to get the product uh, qualified, we've got to get it in clinicals, and then we've got to get it in use. And some of the areas that often kind of gets maybe cut short would be what are the long-term effects of the durability of this implanted device? Because, you know, what What's often, uh, you know, not looked at in a lot of detail is the fact that, you know, an implantable device, if it's in the bloodstream or everything, it, it's it's a cyclic uh, event that the yeah, blood is load, pumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that cyclic load is, is accumulating a tremendous number of cycles on that device, and that device may work fine for some period of time, but you know, eventually it may start breaking down and you want to have a good, accurate feel for when, you know, that needs to uh, maybe be removed uh, for safety reasons. Um, You know, one of those examples is, is, you know, clock catchers, things like that. And fortunately, that's a real issue that I have with, uh, with, my wife who had one of those implanted uh, after an accident right. and and this is where some of the regulations it's really important to have consistency um, mm-hmm. because when she had that implanted they said oh well you can have it removed about every after six months and then after the six months was done we went in to have it removed and they go oh no you can't remove it after six months there's too much <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's too much risk of rupturing the artery mm-hmm. for having it removed. You you can't do that. Well, this is not a lifetime device. Nice. It's got some yeah. very, you know, it's got little arms on it and and they can fatigue. And if they start fatiguing, there's been some horror stories of of, you know, the kind of damage that can that can occur from some of those. So so, you know, long story short, that's one of the really, you know, most important things that I think could really use even more advancement is is better, um, you know, estimations of of how long this device can safely be used before it it's a high risk of uh, deterioration just from from use yeah you bring up something really critical um in, in your own story is that when we work on these medical devices almost everybody has something they can relate to personally right it impacts everyone we know and care about and this is that's a an unfortunate but great example that you gave that Chris what what are your thoughts like uh, if if, the, if you could get the Flonex developers to add some capabilities um, that would help the biotech or biomedical device space what would you ask them to add in <laughs> I think a, a really cool and uh, more more so applicable uh, feature that that might be nice for Flonex would be uh, 
to add in possibly like a, a slug flow to simulate uh, like thrombectomy or uh, ischemia in, in uh, vascular regions. Uh, I think that would be very popular uh, with uh, mm -hmm. um, vacuum thrombectomy devices. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, that, that's, that's probably my main, <laughs> the, the, the main thing I think it would, would add some value. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, yes, I think that'd be very very useful. I I think uh, yeah, that's there's there, and there and there's probably tons more. And hopefully the listeners will will give feedback to the developers as well. If there's stuff that's missing, but you know it's come such a long way. And one thing we haven't really talked about is uh, integrating like the control system into the simulation using a tool like SCADE, uh, ANSYS SCADE, or um, doing some of the risk simulation with. Medini, I don't think either of you use Medini very much, do you? No, not currently. No. no. Yeah. So that's that's uh, something we need to we need to bring onto the podcast at some point because I, I I'm just getting my head around it, but it basically allows you to do kind of these risk assessments on things. Um, so uh, another great way to. Obviously, very applicable in the medical device space. So, cool, cool. Well, anything you guys want to share before we wrap it up, and uh, I, I, before they throw me out of the parking lot? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think one area, one area of of device development that we've been uh, assisting in for probably over twenty five years, and you would think that with that period of time that everything would be well defined and and worked out. Well, one of the uh, applications that that was the simulation process was developed many years ago, but it's still a challenge today is in the area of stents. Um, yes. Because the basic process of 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 the stent um, being compressed and and delivered through a you know uh, device into the the region of interest and then inflated uh, into place there's still a lot of um, you know tribal art in, in the doctor's uh, ability to be able to do those successfully and again another example of of cases where you know I've had some friends that had some stints, reapplied they didn't they didn't take and you know it took three mm -hmm. times before they got a successful Ouch. uh event and you know every time you have to go back into surgeries but especially if it's an elderly person that's that's a really high risk so you know there's some real challenges in that trying to establish a how does this device behave post yield because it, it it really is for especially stainless steel type stents is that you're you're compressing it and it's plastic the minute you install it yeah. so it's not a matter of oh let's keep it below yield and and try to get as many <laughs> cycles as we can it's how many cycles can we get with material which has already been damaged and that you know still continues to be a challenge to 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 how do you get really accurate information for how that particular device is going to behave because it's very small and you know capturing high resolution information for that is still even today you know a little bit challenging to to have high confidence in that 
So. Yeah, we, we used to be happy to do a segment of a stint, uh, yeah. just deploy it. <laughs> and uh, now we can do a lot more, but it's still, you're right, it's still a significant challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Chris, anything you want to add before we close up? I no, I I think I'm I'm good. But uh, thanks again for for having me on here. It's it's been a pleasure. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it's really good to have you. And uh, um, it, you know, this is this is a very broad topic, but uh, it's uh, it's lunchtime here, and all the high school students are showing up for their Starbucks. I better give up my spot. So we'll wrap <laughs> it up. And uh, <laughs> really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Right now. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So really interesting. As you heard, we used to shy away from uh, much of this industry because the tools just weren't there yet. But, you know, it's so multi-physics. It's the thing I didn't mention the preamble, right? So um, they're pretty much there. We can pretty much do it now. Uh, if you have any questions about your particular application, please reach out to info at PADTINC.com or give us a call at 480-813-4884. We love to talk about this topic. Adore it. You know, space, medical, we, we love these things. Um, and um, you know, let's see how we can help each other get moving more in this area. And one other note, uh, we had hoped to get uh, one of the lead ANSYS people for medical on this call, but he was too busy, Thierry Marshall. And I may be mispronouncing that name. He's Belgian. Um, he's a longtime friend and with others on the ANSYS team has really pushed to make simulation part of medical device design and modeling of medical conditions and situations. Um, it's, it's what he likes to call in silico methods. So there's in vivo and in vitro, right? In glass, in the body, in silico is in simulation, right? In in silicon chips. So kind of cool. Uh, he's really leading the uh, the charge for this in silico methods. Um, if you do not follow him on LinkedIn, you should. It's Thierry Marshall. It's T H I E R R Y M A R C H A L. Um, everything that um, is going on in the in the medical place that's worth mentioning, he will mention on his LinkedIn feed. And he also writes a lot of blog articles and things like that for ANSYS. So great guy, uh, really, really leading the charge in this area. So, you know, for commercial today, since we're talking about medical devices, we'll just stay on the topic for this month's commercial. PDT's product development team has a group that is dedicated to medical device product development. All of the drivers that make simulation in this industry a challenge also make designing something that requires um, these kind of medical needs. Uh, it's really something that needs special knowledge and special experience. That's why large multinational corporations, uh, whose names I can't mention because we on disclosure agreements, and startups straight from the operating room come to PADT. We work with our medical device customers to define specifications, develop preliminary designs, test, and then create detailed designs that are ready for manufacturing, all within the structure of the customer's quality management system. So we're meeting that 13485 requirement, that ISO 13485 requirement um, through the whole process. We can help prototype concepts or do a complete product from idea um, to assisting in that first run manufacturing, do the whole way. Uh, we've done dozens of devices that are used around the country to help make surgeries more efficient, make knee replacement more robust, uh, and even make wrinkles go away. We've actually had multiple devices that help make wrinkles go away longer and with less pain. Uh, 
So there is almost no part of the body we have not dealt with over the years, even the icky parts we've done. So if you are in the medical device space and you need experts who can effortlessly integrate simulation and 3D printing into the design process, please reach out to PADT at info at PADTINC.com or 480-813-4884. And our team would love to talk to see how we can help. So that being said and done, let's move on to the ANSYS stock. So it's Monday, October 9th. The markets, uh, when I when I wrote this, the markets were about to close. So right now, ANSYS is at uh, an even $300 a share, uh, which is up from, it cut down to 290 last week, so it's a little bit better. Um, I have no idea why it's up or down. Um, you know, it, it's not at 351, which we saw in July. And that's just the way it is. I think in general, the market in, is down, and I think that's part of it, but I don't know. Um, but the good news is year to date, that's still up 24.6%. We'll call it 25%. Whereas the S&P 500 is up 12.8%, so 13%. So you know, almost double um, what the S&P 500 has done. And then if we look over the last 12 months, which is a little bit better way to look at things, uh, we're up 38% for ANSYS and only 19% for the S&P 500. So still um, not as high as, of course, we'd all like to see it, but it's outperforming the market, which is great to see. So still a very strong company and still growing and doing well. Um, so in the news world for ANSYS, um, some great news that uh, ANSYS continues to win awards for the best place to work. And if you ever met somebody that worked there, you'll understand why it really does um, value and take care of their employees um, and tries to make what's really a hard job um, uh, fun and, and rewarding. So um, they won again for U.S. News and World Reports for best companies to work for in technology category. And then they won two European rankings. Um, they ranked 25th in the multinational category on great places to work list of best workplaces in Europe. And then because of Brexit, we got a separate one for the UK. And they ranked 24th in Newsweek's top 100 UK's most loved workplaces. So, you know, you don't, you don't win these things um, automatically. You really they actually talk to the employees, so you can't really fake it. So really good news, uh, and congratulations to everybody that uh, works really hard on the HR side um, and employees that work really hard as well as senior management that have made a commitment to making ANSYS a great place to work. Another cool little bit of news is that they announced that ANSYS is participating in something called F1 in Schools, which is uh, a project where STEM program where kids design Formula One cars. Um, and now they can do that design using ANSYS CFD. So they get an exposure quite young to doing fluid mechanics, um, and which is, of course, as we know, uh, in any racing, and especially Formula One, is a really important part of making those Formula One cars really excel. So pretty cool there. Um, PDT news, none. We got nothing really to report. Um, if you do uh, work with us um, in the world of Stratasys, if you get your Stratasys material from us, uh, good news. I, I will uh, kind of we've kind of pre-announced it. Um, we'll be opening up a new online store. So we were the first to have an online store for buying material for Stratasys, um, and then we didn't change it. So um, other people leapfrogged us. So we got a new store coming out uh, really soon. So that's good news for us um, and our customers who buy material from us. Doesn't really impact those of you who are Ansys users around the world. 
um, unless you buy Stratasys material from us. Um, let's take a look at the ANSYS blog. I uh, picked three uh, articles that I thought were worth looking at that I thought were interesting I'm going to recommend. So the first one is called Calculate the Simulation Speed Up and ROI of a New Workstation. And thank you, whoever wrote that in ANSYS. Um, it's one of the biggest questions we get from customers is I, I want to get a new workstation and my boss wants to know what's the ROI, how much faster is ANSYS going to run, you know, how many jobs can I do, how much bigger models can I do, how more complex. Well, this article kind of steps you through that whole process. So we'll definitely be referring that to people in the future. Um, the next one I really liked, uh, and it kind of fits into how I'm seeing AI and machine uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning really getting into more and more places, is designing safer systems with AI, ML, and simulation. So uh, we've talked about it here on the podcast. I've written about it uh, in the Phoenix Business Journal and some other publications. It's really important to realize that you can train your artificial intelligence and machine learning systems using simulation. And that's what the what the automotive companies do. That's what the people making uh, um, uh, uh, unmanned vehicles are doing, uh, autonomous in general. So um, you can also use it to design safer systems, right? So um, do check that out if you're at all interested in that area or working in that area. And then the last one I thought was really cool is called Small But Mighty. And it's called unlocking, it's actually called small but mighty colon, unlocking narrow vein deposits to fill the metal supply gap. So this is one of my um, kind of obsessions is that <clears throat> before we get to a hydrogen economy, which is the end goal, um, we're going to have to do better at finding metals that we need, especially rare earth metals. And this Canadian company um, is basically using ANSYS tools to be able to find these small veins of deposits um, to, to help uh, solve the shortage of critical metals and strategic metals. So uh, check that out as well. Kind of a neat usage of ANSYS. This is also another good example of the ANSYS startup program. <clears throat> In our blog... We've got a really useful article uh, from uh, Popular Demand and kind of a continuation of an earlier article that's really popular. This is called Calculating Reaction Forces in a Spectrum Analysis in ANSYS Mechanical. So when you do a spectrum analysis in ANSYS Mechanical, it's, it's a, you have to do some little bit of work to get those reaction forces correctly because this is a, a modal combination method, right? So anyway, uh, Alex Grishin wrote that and does a much better job of explaining it. I may have just botched it. So do check that out if you're ever doing spectrum analyses. Um, um, then also, we've got the first of a couple of tutorials from uh, one of our engineers here who's been learning LS Dyna, and it's called Introduction to ANSYS LS Dyna Tutorial 1, Ball Impacting a Plate. So it's a really straightforward beginning, kind of get your feet wet with LS Dyna, which we're huge, huge fans of here, and uh, check that out. Um, it's really good, and, and I'm actually, when I get done recording this podcast, I'm going to put the second one up, so it'll be there as well. So um, then on the 3D printing side, we've got a very useful article about flame retardant polymer materials and additive manufacturing. So one of the issues with 3D printing in the past has been, unless you're using metals, uh, the materials that are printed are often very flammable. Well, they now have materials that have additives that keep them from catching on fire. So you can use them in those situations where you might have gotten gone with an injection molded material that was flame retardant in the past. So check that out. And then last but not least, I'm going to do four because this one is useful. Uh, it's something that we get a lot of questions around. It's called Adjusting Time Steps in Flonex. So if you're using Flonex, it's inherently a transient 
tool. Um, <clears throat> but you know, the time step size uh, is something that you often want to play with to get the model to run faster or be more accurate. So this is really about how to adjust those time steps. So check that out. If you are a Flonex user or interested in using Flonex as a 1D thermal fluid solver. All right, up next is webinars. So we've got two in October. We actually just finished one today. So we've got two more in October. Um, the first one is going to be Fluid GPU Solver Updates for ANSYS 2023 R2. So if you're running Fluid and you're using GPUs, you definitely want to check this one out. Um, and you can watch it live or you can listen to it afterwards. And then our 3D printing team has a really interesting presentation on additives role in Factory 4.0. So if you know what Factory 4.0 is or Industry 4.0, um, you'll know why this is really important and to understand where additive fits into that. And that's on the 26th. As always, you can get to you can go to brighttalk.com and search for PADT to see these uh, webinars, upcoming webinars, and all of our past webinars. So they're all there for you to watch at your leisure. You don't have to watch these things live, although it's always better if you want to ask questions. So other PADT events, we're kind of winding down for the year. Um, we're going to be headed down to Tucson on October 18th for the 2023 Southern Arizona Tech Expo, uh, Tech and Business Expo. Um, and that starts at noon and goes till uh, later in the evening. Always fun. Always good to see our customers in Tucson. Uh, we have quite a few and to meet some new ones, hopefully. So hope to see you there if you're located in Tucson. And then the big event of the year for PADT is our annual Nerdtoberfest. That's coming up on October 25th this year, and it's from 4 to 7 here at our Tempe headquarters. So if you are at all anywhere near Phoenix, Arizona on October 25th, please go to uh, padtinc.com slash nerdtoberfest, N-E-R-D-T-O-B-E-R-F-E-S-T, just like it sounds. Um, and it's all of our homepage as well, so you can just click on it and sign up and register so we have enough versed for everybody, beer and versed for everybody. Um, this is a, it's an open house. We show off what we do, we tours of our lab. You get to see our 3D printing stuff. We've got some simulation demos. We got some fun games to play. And then we've got um, some really cool food that is kind of, kind of, sort of. Uh, German friends make fun of it because it's not, but it's sort of German themed. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. We usually get around 200 to 300 people to show up for that. So hopefully um, if you're nearby, you can make it. And then the final big event for the year that we hope to see uh, also people in Arizona come out to is the 2023 Governor's Celebration of Innovation Awards. Um, th this uh, I'm, I'm stepping down after four years. Um, they're they're uh, replacing me, in a, which is in a timely manner. I wasn't re ejected. I don't want to make it sound like I was fired. Uh, as chairman of the board of the Arizona Technology Council. So uh, I won't be hosting this one, which is a shame. But I will be there in the back having fun. Um, so uh, do come if you can. Can. It is the premier Arizona tech event. Uh, the mayor, the governor is going to be there and the mayor as well, we hope, uh, of Phoenix. And uh, it's put on by the Arizona Commerce Authority and the Arizona Technology Council. So we hope to see you there. So that's all of our events. That's our podcast for uh, this month. I want to thank everybody. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out once a month. It's www.padtinc.com slash opt in, where you can see everything that's going on at PADT. Please do subscribe to this podcast where you get your podcasts and spread the word. And as always, do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you for joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode 123. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with Ansys Inc., 
and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.pdtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at pdtinc.com. See you next time.